and welcome back to The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your host, Lamar, and, and uh, here's my guest, also host sometimes, Carrie. Hi, how are you, Lamar? Doing great. Hey, so thanks here for, we are. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the show. I hope you, uh, uh, thank you. enjoy being here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes guests. Well, the reason I said it kind of like that is because uh, the times when I'm on it, I kind of like to do it so that I can ask you questions. Because yeah, no, I, I, I like it. I get what you're saying. I, it's it's fun. fun. Yeah. It's yeah. fun to do it. And, and the way I ask you questions is great because sometimes, again, I ask it. I, I think of these things in terms of what were my seminary students? What did, what did they want to know? And, and uh, the people that in my ward that listen to this show, they ask me sometimes, well, what about this? And one of my friends said he's learning so much about the Old Testament. Now listen to your show because uh, it just makes so much sense. And people were, were trying to lay it out. And that's the idea is we're trying to make these things come alive. And uh, I know that when we study them in church, we move through it so fast, it's hard to get a grasp on exactly who and what and why and where. We get the concepts, which is all great, but sometimes it's hard to put that in place in time and connect yeah. yourself with it. And that's what the idea of this idea, this podcast is, yeah. put ourselves in this. So It's good. That's why we yeah. do it. So yeah, like it's all good. Good. So uh, we're now getting to now. If if you're watching or listening to this right now, and you haven't listened to Carrie's short cast on Job just before this, you should go listen to that first because he lays out what Job is around. We're going to shift in our uh, in our writings. We the first part of the the things that we've gone through so far, the first part of the books, Genesis say to Esther, are more or less chronologically happening, and their narrative in uh, the way the written is like a, is what we call narrative right yeah so yeah that's exactly they're, they're right. yeah they're telling people places and times and they're roughly in chronological order i know um uh ruth slips in there somewhere in judges she actually happens a little bit further or you know more towards the middle of uh, judges but anyway roughly speaking we're talking about them being in chronological order now right in the middle we suddenly have a breakdown and we go into what they call the writings. Tell us a little bit about yeah. what, the, what the writings is about. What is writing? And it's kind of interesting uh, because really what we're doing in Come Follow Me is we're following the order of the, the books the way they are in our English scriptures. Uh, now, that's different than the order it would be if we were using the Hebrew Bible. Um, and, uh, but they, they both have some, kind of the same idea. They've just done it a little bit differently. So the Hebrew Bible, which is often called the Tanakh, and that's an, that's, a an acronym. It stands for Torah, which is the Torah or the five books of five Moses, right. the Nevi'im, which stands for prophets. And then the Ketuvim, which is the, the writings. Okay. So, uh, interestingly, they, they don't divide the prophets the way we would. Um, so the, the Torah is the first five books of Moses. So then books that are included in the prophets are uh, first, uh, what, Judges, Joshua, Judges, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, which we, I mean, those aren't prophetic books. Those are historical books, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, well, Joshua is a prophet, I guess, so that's sure. fine. But yeah. Uh, um, and uh, so you know, if it were me, I'd probably throw those in with the writings, like historical writings. And and they do throw First and Second Chronicles, which uh, are basically like First Samuel through Second Kings. I mean, it's the same thing, just written by a different group at a different time. But those are in the writings. But the First and Second Kings are in the prophets. So I don't know. It doesn't fully make sense to me. But <laughs> anyway, um, 
and uh, so uh, we're we're going along with the order of the English version, uh, whereas uh, for the Hebrew version, after First and Second Kings, you get uh, because the there that's part of the prophets. Then you get Isaiah, because that's part of the prophets, uh, right? And then you get right. all those prophetic books. Whereas the English Bible is divided up, where we kind of go Torah, historical books, and then we go um writings and then prophets so we're hitting that that kind of the part that both groups would think of as writings um and uh, so you have a couple subsets or subgenres in there you've got um the the proverbs and uh, ecclesiastes and things like that uh, and job those are what we'd call wisdom literature um and that's a subset of the writings uh, and then you have the Psalms, which are songs and hymns and praises. Uh, and so we're, we're just kind of right now, right in the middle of this writings section. And we're, uh, we did a little bit of wisdom literature with Job. And again, we're doing it this order because it's the order it is in our Bible. Uh, it, it, to me, I would have gone historically and stopped and said, okay, historically, this is when Amos was prophesying. Let's look at Amos and and back and forth that way. But that gets confusing as well. There are plus and minuses to either way. Yeah, right. Uh, that's just how I do it in my classes. Would but, you have followed, if you were going to organize the King James Version, would you have organized it like more like the Tanakh then? Uh, I don't know. There are, again, pluses and minuses to either way. <laughs> and same thing, if you were asking me if I uh, were arranging the church curriculum, like there are positives to the way that we're doing it, and there are positives to the way I do it in my classes, which is to stop partway through a chapter in Kings and say, okay, let's read Amos. Okay, let's come back and pick up the storyline, right? So you get some disjunction either way. Uh, so it's all good. Um, but we're we're right in the middle now of uh, one of the most beautiful books in the Bible, but really one of the most beautiful books in the world, and that's the book of Psalms, which are some of the most heartfelt, probably the most heartfelt of all the writings portions of the Bible. Perfect. Well, all right, that's great. So for our purposes here, we're talking about the three different divisions. There's the the the, the chronological or the narrative, now the writings, and then we'll get to the prophets later. But when you're talking about the the writings part, you're talking about Job, which you, you covered last week. Mm -hmm. Psalms, Proverbs. Or the week before. Or week yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes is some of that as well. Yeah. And then, yeah, okay. So, but now we're going to get into Psalms. We're, we're talking about Psalms. And now. Song of Solomon, but I don't think we're oh. studying that in Kempo. <laughs> well, it was it President Kimball who uh, just didn't have any room for it? He's, was that yeah. right? Am I right? Well, Joseph Smith, it, when he was doing the his translation, what he called the new translation of the Bible, and we call it Joseph Smith translation, said the Songs of Solomon are not inspired writings. So we don't really give them a lot of time. Uh, I will say that in my ancient Near Eastern text course, um, we have a section on love poetry because that's a genre in the ancient Near East, right? And I always try and have that uh, be the day that is on or next to Valentine's Day. And we read Song of Solomon then as well. And we uh, <laughs> we bring in treats and desserts and, oh, and uh, invite people to bring their spouses or significant others. And we just have a good time. Uh, so that's about the only time I think that uh, Song of Solomon is covered in a class at BYU because as scripturally we say, ah, skip it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, I think it came from I want to say it's President Kimball. I'm not sure, but one of them had him stapled together. I don't know that it's like anathema, like we can't read that or whatever. No. It's just he just didn't have time for it. It wasn't really inspired, so it didn't really belong in his scripture scriptures or his canonical scriptures. But anyway, it's still yeah. it's interesting writing from the standpoint of a, of a literary 
Uh, yeah, it's it's got. Some and many Christians uh, will take it as um, a metaphor for the church, the the yeah, wife yeah. being the metaphor for the church and how much Christ loves the church. And uh, there are all sorts of interesting things you can learn from it. But yeah, yeah it can be allegorical, gonna... I guess. But there's some other things that I'm like, I'm not sure that I want to. Yeah, classify the church like that. Anyway, you can read that yeah. on your own. Yeah, <laughs> and and maybe my seminary students aren't really ready for it. So yeah, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> that's true. That's so true. All right, so we're talking about the Psalms now. Who wrote Psalms, Kerry? A whole bunch of different people. We don't know who all they are. And uh, there are many times where a psalm is attributed to someone, and we don't necessarily always know that it really was written by that person. Um, but, I mean, it, in the end, it doesn't matter that much. These are inspired hymns. Uh, so I guess I say it doesn't matter that much. It's inspired hymns. And, and uh, my friends who are songwriters are going to be very mad. Like, no, yeah. it, it matters. You should know who's singing a, a song, right? And uh, I'm not very musical. I'm like, eh, whatever, move on. So I'm trying to <laughs> repent and be more mindful of that. Um, but uh, but in the end, if it's inspired, it's inspired, right? And so right. it doesn't matter. 73 of them, which is more than half, are mm -hmm. attributed to David. Uh, and uh, this is what David was well known for is, uh, well, he was well known for a number of things. But one of them is being a harpist and a composer of music and right. a poet. And uh, some of these really, really do seem like they're written by David. They, they at least fit his life incredibly well. Uh, you may remember back when we covered the story of David in, in uh, 2 Samuel, and we talked about his fall after Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. And I think that I, I covered then uh, Psalms 51. I read part of Psalms 51 mm -hmm. on the podcast then because it, it, it really does seem to be the psalm written right after that incident and uh, it's pretty powerful moving stuff so psalm 51 is also included in this week's reading i would recommend read that again it really is powerful stuff so let me let me ask about that then let me ask uh, if i was a seminary student um and i was sitting in my class and i might say hey didn't we just have uh, you know david fell and did these horrible things so why am i reading why am i reading stuff from a fallen i don't know, call a prophet a fallen king or a fall you know he's He's bad. He's dirty. He's tainted. So why do I want to read anything from him? He should be completely shut out, right? It's it's a great question. Um, so here's an interesting uh, thing that I think is worth noting. Um, if you were to look at, uh, say, the Dead Sea Scrolls, so these are written by a community that uh, predates and goes a little bit after Christ, but roughly contemporary with Christ. And the books that they had the most copies of were Isaiah, Psalms, and Deuteronomy. Now, that's really interesting because if you look at the books that the Savior quotes the most, it's Isaiah, Psalms, and Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to, to just take your guide uh, uh, from the Savior as to what books of Scripture are inspired and are applicable, Psalms is number two on your list. Uh, and uh, that's, that's, that's pretty big. Uh, he, he and Matthew both quote from the Psalms quite a bit. So, and they quote from Davidic Psalms quite a bit. Uh, and they hold them up as being inspired writing. And and David is referred to as a prophet. So let's say David absolutely did fall. There's there's no doubt of this. I mean, he, he sinned both with Bathsheba and especially with Uriah. That's a very mm -hmm. grievous sin. That doesn't mean he wasn't inspired before that. When the Holy Ghost was upon him, it was upon him. And based on Psalm 51, he absolutely repented. And it sure seems like there are times he's very inspired after that. Uh, and and that should give us all solace. And uh, clearly, the Savior treats him as someone who's inspired. Well, that's great. And 
I don't know how deep I want to, we want to go in this, this is not necessarily about the writings, but it does relate to it. And I think that in general, the reason why I bring this up is I think we have a tendency in our society, especially today, that if you can find a, some dirt on somebody, you can X them all the way out. Yeah. Oh, they did this. They're all gone. Forget it. They're yeah. dead. You know, yeah. and that's not how it should be. You can, the, the, one thing you said earlier on and other people have said, look, the uh, the Old Testament is people, warts and all, and we and that's okay. And we could, should say that's okay. Look, there's things in everybody's past that I'm not really proud of this. And you know, should yeah. Abraham have done this, or should you know Solomon have done that? Okay, maybe, maybe not. But let's you know, let's not throw that all out. And if your bishop says some wrong thing on a camp out, does that make him you know? Yeah. Ditch that guy. So let's not so be. You so... say that when last week I was on a camp out with my my youth. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was not an accident. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think you're right. We have to be careful with that. Now, I mean, there there are some things that we need to take pretty seriously. But uh, at the same time, if we're going to invalidate anything anyone said, because at some point they did some things that they're ashamed of, then everyone's disqualified. Right. Everybody. That's exactly right. Everybody. And uh, so, again, I'm not trying to excuse David's uh, sin. It, it's, murder is no. a very grievous sin. Uh, but it doesn't mean he wasn't inspired before, and it doesn't mean he couldn't be inspired after. And uh, he's certainly treated that way. Now, I don't know if anybody else had this happen in their church experience. And I'm not sure who could have been in some elders corner or whatever that someone was talking. And they equated David to a son of perdition because of that, because mm. murder is murder and you can never repent of that. And uh, no, I don't think that's right. I, I think yeah. that... Go I'm going to use your words again. I think you said before, uh, and I've heard other people say as well, you know, the the Savior's atonement, there's nothing the, the Savior's atonement can't reach. Yeah, It's all going to be up to you and the Lord to sort it out afterwards and whatever. So again, I'm not excusing or blanketing over or lessening any kind of crime or any kind of thing that, that's happening there. But the Savior's atonement is infinite, and we could all use a little more grace, both in how in our own lives and also how we approach other people or how we look at other people's lives they're all working it out like we talked about the flood of noah they wiped out a lot of people and like you said we're just put they're in a timeout right now the yeah. lord's infinite and it's eternal and there's a lot longer time scales we're working on here so back to david i think uh we, we need a little bit of grace with him let let him atone for his own sins and work it out but it doesn't mean he's cast off forever and you won't be cast off forever even though you think you've done some bad stuff yeah, the, the scriptures are, are ambiguous, interestingly, on, on murder, because in one place you'll find it saying you, you can't be forgiven. In another place, Alma says it's not easy to be forgiven of murder, mm -hmm. which implies that it's possible. Right. Uh, and, and so I'm not sure that we can say, and, uh, and I'm glad to not be the person who has to say, I'm, I'm going to leave that up to God, and I'm just going to assume people get forgiven. I think so. I, I think I'll go with that, too. Again, I think the Savior's um, atonement, is deep enough to cover anything, but yeah. it's up to you to work it out with him and how you're going to do that. And that's, that's something you do. But anyway, so back to, again, again, back to David and Psalms. So this is kind of why I'm answering my seminary kids question. Like, um, you know, why can, uh, you know, we, well, okay. So he, some of these great Psalms, like you said, 51 is about him pleading for forgiveness and how yeah. can be forgiven this and, and still the love of the Lord that he has and the Lord has for him and, and the, the, the blessings still, you know, come to him. He may have missed out on some blessings. I don't know, but he's still, his line is still blessed. And 
you know, Christ comes yeah. through his lineage. And, and uh, to some degree, who better to learn from than someone who was amazing and really, really fell and really, really was in the midst of repenting. Uh, that's, that's, let's learn from him about repentance. He, he knows a bit about oh. it. Uh, oh, yeah. And let's learn from him about sorrow. He knows a bit about it. So, but there's, here's a, another element, and maybe this, this is a, a, a tangent, but I think it's an important element as we think about the Psalms. So many of the Psalms, like the ones we were just talking about, are, are pleas for mercy, pleas for forgiveness. Many of them are uh, pleas for help when you're being oppressed, and a lot of those are David as well. I mean, David went through some tough stuff, and, and he seems to have written a lot of Psalms during the time period where Saul was chasing him. Uh, mm -hmm. unjustly accused, he seems to have written a, a few when his son usurped the throne. And, and again, he has these tough things. David went through tough things and he wrote, yeah. it, it, he had heartfelt feelings and he, and he wrote some beautiful Psalms for that. So there's a lot of pleading for help and mercy and, and relief from oppression. There are a lot of Psalms that are just plain worship and, and any of those other Psalms, the repentance and the pleas for deliverance, they usually include in them a, uh, an element of worship as well. And this is something we, as Latter-day Saints, could probably do a, a little bit better on. Uh, I'm not sure we're really great worshipers, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I know you're praisers going anyway. Maybe maybe praisers is a better thing. I think we worship, and I hope we understand that there are lots of different forms of worship. That serving uh, mankind is a form of worshiping God, and so on. So maybe praising is a better word. I'm not sure we're really that good at at, at praising. God. So sorry, you were going to say something along those lines. No, no, no. I was just agreeing with you in, in that, that same thing. I, I think that I, I think where we might get off track is the Latter-day Saints are very um, focused on the law, which is great. Word of wisdom and this and law of chastity and law of tithing. That, those are all great and we should do those things. But we got to not miss the gratitude and the yeah. appreciation for grace. And that's where I really where I think the phrase comes in. Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that the Lord cares so much if you're going to sing a song about him. I was again, this was in the uh, in the uh, the or Orson Hyde Memorial Gardens, which is if you haven't been there, it's where Gethsemane is. Basically, it's part of Gethsemane where Gethsemane Gardens would have been. And there was a group there, non LDS, and they sang the song and it was just praising, praising, praising. And I, I mean, no disrespect to their praising at all, but it was so repetitive. And I'm like that. Okay, I don't know that the Lord cares so much about that, but it was the gratefulness that came with yeah. it. If you're grateful for the blessings and you're recognizing for the blessings and the, the opportunities and the grace, like even though we've done all these dumb things in our life, we've done dumb things, everybody's done dumb things, we still have some grace and we're appreciating that. And I think that's where you, that's true worship in my mind. Maybe you have a different idea. No, I, I, absolutely. And I, I think you're right. I mean, we're, I would say not only are we busy obeying, but we're just busy doing. We want to focus yeah. on doing it. And that's a really, really good thing, right? I it will is. go and I will do the things the Lord commands. Do it. Uh, these, uh, what are the things that I must do to, to be with him someday? But sometimes the focus on doing can take a little bit away from like uh, the how great thou art kind of yes. an idea, right? And I thought maybe I'd share a, a story that uh, w that involves the psalm specifically that, that uh, affected me and uh, for a while affected my family. I'd like to get back to where it is again. Um, when I was a visiting fellow at uh, Oxford, and I was part of the Harris Manchester College, uh, and but what I really liked to do is in the mornings I was I was there was some stuff I was reviewing and some stuff I was writing, and uh, there were some gardens in Modeling College. That's the one that C.S. Lewis was in, uh, that were particularly beautiful and peaceful, and I liked to go and uh, and think there. 
Um, uh, and this is, they're pretty famous partially because, uh, C.S. Lewis and, and J.R.R. Tolkien would take walks there. And the, one of the, the, somewhere in there is a reported place where Tolkien used tree, a tree as an analogy to help uh, Lewis overcome some of his hesitations about Christianity and, mm-hmm. and become Christian again and so on. But as a result, it's a pretty famous place. Uh, so in the afternoon when it was open to tourists, uh, it would get pretty busy and it was less conducive to just kind of thinking and pondering and stuff. And so I wanted to go in the morning and, and as a faculty member, I could get in, but still not really early because it was only for faculty of that college really early in the morning. (laughs) And I thought I need to find a way around that. And I found out that if you go and participate in their worship services, which were held at 8 AM, once you're inside, you're inside, right? Oh, so I thought, yeah. okay, well, I, I like Anglican worship services. That's I'm, yeah. I'm good with that. Sure. I hadn't really done a lot, but I'd done some and I liked it. So I went in and, uh, and it was pretty small. It was the pastor and one other guy and me. And uh, so we, we had a pretty good worship service and uh, I enjoyed it enough that, and, and wanted to come back that the next day I, I came back and did it again. And after that, uh, I, they said, okay, we know you will let you in. And I, and I didn't have to go to the worship service to keep getting in, but I went anyway, because I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And, and here's what they were. We would, we'd sing some songs and some of these songs I didn't know very well. And I'm a terrible singer, but, uh, but I didn't know very well because they were some Anglican songs that I wasn't familiar with, right. uh, but I'd, I'd muddled my way through. And then we'd read um, a scripture passage. And then each day we would read a Psalm together. And the way oh, you'd nice. read it, they would read it together is that um, we'd take turns and uh, like the pastor would read one verse and then we'd all recite the next verse together. And then the other guy would read the next verse and then we'd all recite one verse together. Then I'd read the next verse and then we'd all recite the verse. And we just keep doing that until we'd gone through the whole Psalm. And it felt like worshiping. I, I, I have to say, I felt like I was praising and worshiping God more than I usually feel that, except for a couple rare occasions where there's been really something special going on. And I enjoyed feeling that every morning. So I came home and I, I said to my family, you know, I love our family scripture study but uh, that we have every morning at breakfast, but I'd actually like it to be a family worship service. Let's worship God in the morning and study. And so for like a year and a half, I was able to get everyone to do this. Then some stuff changed and we kind of, well, I think COVID is what happened actually. I can't remember, but um, uh, anyway, it, it kind of has died out and I'd like to get it again, but we'd, we'd have a little prayer and then we'd do that same thing. We'd, we'd choose a Psalm and we'd take turns. You read, then we all read, you read, we all read. And so on the same thing that I'd done. And uh, my family felt like we were praising and worshiping together. And we did it every day. So we just did one psalm every day. And sometimes we'd do only half a psalm. Some of them are kind of long and some of them are super short. Sometimes we did it too because they're so short. Um, But the feeling of praise and worship that we experienced reading those out loud together to God, I felt like I was lifting my soul up to God in praise. And it was incredibly edifying for me. I don't know how it affected God. But it really, really edified me and made me feel connected to him. And like you were saying, grateful for him in a way that I really don't have in any other experience than that. And so I'd recommend at least like a psalm a day. And maybe you say it out loud. Maybe it's a song in your heart. I don't know how it works for you. But there's a power there that we're not tapping into and that I'm not currently tapping into. But I know I should be. Well, that's oh man, that's a fantastic thing. I hadn't heard that story before, before but that's it. What a really great way to do it. And I you uncovered something else that I think is really interesting, which is what's the 
what's the form? What's worship for anyway? And I've heard other people that are maybe not believers, you know, like what a narcissistic person or entity that needs to have all yeah. of his children, you know, telling him how great he is. And I'm like, that's really not what it's about. It's not about him telling you, you telling him how great he is. It's about you recognizing how great he is and that you're united with. Him. So those two yes. things, the gratitude and the uniting is what real worship is about. It's yeah. not about I'm so dumb and I'm so nothing and that you're the greatest and I'll never be you. It's exactly the opposite is thanks so much for not <laughs> casting me out, letting me do what I need to do and, and someday be united and, and, and with you in that greatness is, is what we're talking about. So humility, yeah. um, gratitude and un unity is what we're really talking about in a word. That's a real worship service. And that's what you're doing. I would agree. And, and I think, and th I, I think th oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say the, the psychology too, that you're talking about that where you say it and the other say, it, I just think psychologically that is it. The uniting is coming together. It's like I'm saying it, and then we're all saying it. We're uniting in this, in this yes. prayer, and so that's, it's exactly what it is. You're, it's the unity you're bringing your family together, or your worship group, whatever you're doing, and you're uniting, and you're hopefully uniting with Father in Heaven as well. So that that's the unity. So sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I, I'm gl so glad you added that because I mean, if if you think about, it, and I've talked about covenant plenty of times, right? And remember, the covenant is about forming relationships, primarily relationship with God also a relationship with each other. We'll think about what you're just talking about. We're, when we are saying it out loud together, that forms that relationship with each other, mm -hmm. but it's primarily forming that relationship with God. And then when we take exactly what you said, uh, humility and gratitude with an increase in relationship are exactly the ingredients you need to more fully rely on God. And that's what we need more than anything is to rely on God so that we can take advantage of his, his grace and his son's Tony power. Uh, and, and nothing, you won't do it if you aren't feeling absolutely in need and grateful and acknowledging that it can happen. And then the kind of relationship where, you know, it will happen. And so that that's, I think, again, why worship and praise is so important because it allows us to rely on God more fully and, if we do it together to form that relationship with each other. So uh, th there's a real covenant fulfilling uh, aspect to the Psalms. Uh, yeah, that's such a, what a great concept. I mean, just talking about it here has made it so much more sense in my mind. Doctrine and Covenants uh, section 25, um, the Lord speaks about him. He said, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me. Mm -hmm. So I think about that, about what, why we sing a hymn. Why do, you, why do we sing hymns? Well, that's part of the bringing the unity. If we all sing together, we're all singing together and maybe in harmony. So, you know, we're still singing the same words, the same things, a little bit of harmony there, but yeah, we're well, unified. Some people we're, do harmony. Some people, uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> sorry, sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So we're, yes, we're, all, yeah, we're yeah. all getting on the same page and that's part of what hymns and music does. It gets us all united. And that's what Psalms is, is hymns they're hymns yep I'll, I'll tell you me personally like when we get to christmas season mm -hmm. i love the christmas sunday uh and i wish mm -hmm. actually that we went to church on christmas day but I, I i wish we did that but anyway but but whatever sunday is closest to christmas i love that one i love all the music we do with it i'll tell you my least favorite ones are the ones that are almost all choir 
and just the normal three with the, the congregation. And my favorite ones are that it may be a little bit quieter, but it's mostly all of us singing together. Again, I'm a terrible singer, and I apologize to all the people around me, but at Christmas Day, I'm going to sing those hymns loud. My poor <laughs> counselors probably need earmuffs, right? But uh, I'm going <laughs> to sing those loud because I feel un- when we're singing those Christmas hymns, I feel like I'm praising. And when we all do it together, I feel so connected in our praise of God. It, it's the time I feel most connected to God and most connected to my congregation is when we're singing Christmas hymns together. That's fantastic. And you know, um, there was a, a tradition in in the war that I'm in now, but it was with a particular bishop. And I don't know, I don't know what you feel about this bishop, but he would do this thing that once or twice a year or so, we would have a, a sacrament that was just hymns, and you could request whatever hymn. You That's wanted a great to, idea. You, it was kind of like a testimony meeting. You would come up and say, I would like to sing this hymn, you know, whatever, because this hymn means this to me. And then we'd all sing that hymn. And then it was, so it was a, like I said, you have a little testimony and then, and then the song and the testimony. Itself. And it was just an open kind of form like that. And man, did I love those because we, we yeah. got through so many songs and, and some of those songs like, oh, that really, I hadn't thought about that before. But she brought that up and or he brought that up. And there's such a great lesson and a great thought and i really like those and i'm not sure you know what the church we've done some i I don't think it's a problem we've done i think two for sure one where we've done that same thing testimony and thought and then a hymn and we only got to like four or five but as you said that i'm kind of thinking maybe we should have a sacrament meeting where it's just nothing but singing whole time let's just sing (laughs) the one thing i do having been in the bishop before and one thing i will say is Make sure that your music people are on board with. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about my organist and like, okay, uh, but maybe we could spread it out between the organist and the couple other pianists and stuff like that. Because that right, is a say, lot, hey, right? are, you, are you okay to everybody be able to? So it, there's a little bit of coordination there, but it's a great yeah. thing. And I'm with you on the, the Christmas. When I get to Christmas time, I'm like, so help me from beginning of december in december we better be singing christmas if you slip in a regular hymn i'm going to be irritated yeah that's we, right yeah there's yep. a whole bunch of these christmas hymns in there that i want to sing and i want to sing just those sacrament meeting ones except that i get it sacrament meetings are yeah, yeah, sacrament yeah. section but i want to sing all these christmas hymns and if you don't play i heard the bells on christmas day somewhere in there i'm gonna be upset yeah yeah I, and and again it's so that's what the psalm should be we should think of the psalms some of them are them chanting as they come to the temple some of them people are so some of them are the Levites chanting as you come into the temple some of them are you singing as you come to the temple some of them are you singing at other times of the year some of them are being sung at uh you know exodus and so on but uh there's a a powerful worship and and praise and uniting element to them and i I hope we'll take advantage of that Uh, i would love if I'm going to see if I can get my family to do this, uh, but I and and so I guess the, the whoever's editing this is the first one in my family that's figuring out that <laughs> oh hey this is coming our way. But um, uh, the there's just I, I'd like to do it, and I recommend to anyone else for at least the next month make a, a, a psalm a day part of what you're doing. Right, this, a psalm a day keeps the devil away. So oh, okay. uh, all right. Uh, I'll do that. Just, just make it your scripture study and and see what happens. And if you can do it with the group, uh, then all the better. But one way or the other, just uh, it, it, I think that's the best way to study the Psalms rather than a ton of Psalms all at once. Uh, a, a Psalm a day. Is, I mean, we don't have enough Psalms to do a Psalm a day, but uh, there aren't quite 365. But still, uh, you can start over. Uh, it, it's <laughs> good right. stuff. So I agree. That's really great. And we'll get to Proverbs another another time as well. But yeah. Proverbs and, and Psalms particularly are, is like, to me, it's like distilled truth or distilled principle. 
Yeah. I mean, the other stories are great, the illustrated principles, but these are just music and thought about that one principle or a couple principles, whatever, that yeah. you're really focusing on and it's, it's distilled. And it's uh, that's why I really think these are great. And, and it's too bad we don't spend more time on the Psalms, like you said, because each one of them is a sermon in itself. Like Proverbs yeah. can have one little line and you're like, oh man, I could make a whole, yeah. a whole day of study just out of that one line. And there's so many things in there that Psalms and Proverbs were like. A lot of study Bibles uh, have it where whatever reading you're doing to get through it, you also have a psalm and a proverb for that day. I have seen um, those, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, great way to go. Well, should we look at maybe just uh, at least one psalm? Yeah, let's do together? it. Yes. Um, maybe let's do Psalm 56. All right, uh, sounds great. Uh, eh, I don't know. All of these are good. With 54 is really good. I know, it's hard but, to pick out one. Yeah, uh, let's do 56. So this is a psalm of David. Um, and the little uh, inscription here says, uh, to the chief musician upon uh, Jonathan Elam Rechokim Miktam of David when the Philistines took him in Gath. So, and uh, for the audience, maybe some of these have these, they're kind of like stage directions or munition directions. Yeah. Explain just real quick why those are in there. Why are they in there? Okay. And, and, and we've had uh, last week, I'd refer you to the one we had last week where someone explained it even a little bit more, but, but they're basically like dire- uh, directions for the choir director, as it were, uh, to let them know. And we don't understand how they all work or uh, some things along those lines, but um, uh, yeah. So for uh, last week, we had someone who had been a cantor who, if you have the, if you're on YouTube, you can see he showed some visuals where you can kind of see some of the things uh, going uh, at some of the marks and that kind of a thing. But um, I wish we understood better how, how they should go, but, and, and sometimes uh, they call for like a, an instrument. It sounds, or at yeah. least we think that it's an instrument, like instrument, you know, here, yeah, uh, yeah, big, yeah. big flourish here. Something like that. Okay. But great. this one, uh, at least for the setting seems to be, you may remember that, and I think we actually skipped this in the reading, but I talked about it a little bit. Uh, there was a time where David in fleeing Saul set ref sought refuge at Gath of all places where goliath is from right and he's mm-hmm, killed goliath right. but he saw refuge there and the first time they were going to kill him and he had to pretend like he was insane so they wouldn't kill him but then he went back and they accepted him because they knew that saul was trying to kill him and they thought well okay the enemy of my enemy is my friend right, right. um and so he spends some time there so that is probably the setting i mean there i don't know when else he would the philistines would have taken him at gath but uh there may be another time we just don't know that story uh, but but picture yourself, you're David, and you have just, to seek refuge from your own people, you've just gone to your worst enemies. Uh, and you would feel precarious, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that's when he says, be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. David has, if this is the setting, David has been fighting, to uh, first of all, against the Philistines to survive, now against Saul to survive, and now he's gone to the Philistines, and he might be assaulted by both the Philistines and Saul, right? Yeah. He's, he's in it, and, and so he's saying, this would swallow me up. Uh, mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Now think of that. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. If we all had that, in our hearts, that would make such a difference. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. He's saying this even after all these unjust things have happened to him. He's still saying, in God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Okay, we could make an entire sacrament meeting out of those first three verses. This is this is profound stuff. Mm-hmm. And you jump in anytime you want, sir. Yeah, okay. I, I no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm liking what you're going with. 
in God, oh, uh, I just read that one. Verse five, every Verse day five. they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Right. Remember that this is what they were trying to uh, trap David. Saul and his men were right. Right. Uh, shall they escape by iniquity in thine anger? Cast down the people O God. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Right. Say so you can get this idea. I hope at least you know what I'm going through, God. I hope at least you are writing down the injustices I'm suffering and all of my sorrow and how I trusted in you and I've done everything you asked. And look how hard this is for me. And I can't go see my family. I don't have my wife anymore. And, and I'm being chased by people who I'd served. I hope you're writing down my tears. Right. right. Yeah, so it's not unlike me. Job. Job Job had this time where he was pleading. He says, I want my words written down in an iron book. And what he wanted written down was the stuff you saying, look at how this has happened to me. And I don't understand why. And I That's want not that fair. written down. I've gone through tough stuff. Write it down. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we all want that, though. Right. We want someone to recocognize that what you're going through is hard. Yeah. Well, that's what you hear. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? Same yeah. thing. Yeah. Let's just uh, skip down. Well, verse 10, in God will I praise his word, in the Lord will I praise his word. So that's similar to what we read above. And and same thing. This is kind of a working in and working out thing. Verse 11, in God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. You see, he's already said that before. Thy vows, so thy, thy promises, thy covenants are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling? that I may walk before God in the light of the living, right? So he's basically saying, I know you've delivered me in the past. And so I'm going to trust that you're still there for me. It doesn't feel like it right now, but I'm going to trust that you're still there for me. So there's an element of praise, even in the midst of his questioning and his plea for deliverance. So it really isn't that unlike uh, Job or we'll get to Ecclesiastes later. And there's a little bit of that in Ecclesiastes, right? This, okay, I, I don't get what's going on right now. But I, I know you've been there for me before, and I'm going to continue to praise you because I believe you're going to be there for me again. Well said. That's exactly what. And again, you look at he 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 pours out his soul, and he says, "Here's my here's what I want or what I don't want." I, you know, I'm being impressed, but I recognize he shows gratitude for what's happened for, in the past, and he tries to make a uniting. You know, deliver my soul, death, both to deliver my feet from falling. Walk before God in the living. So again, he's trying to unite himself with God. So that, again, this is a perfect example of worship or praise, because uh, yeah. it, it, it includes those things: the, the humility, the gratitude, and the unity that we're talking about. So, I love that. You know, That's great. Uh, it is. It is. It's wonderful. Another thing that might be worth trying. I often have some students do this, and that's to just write their own psalm. Uh, uh, think of of how you either want to praise God or plead with mercy for God or mix the two together and write your own psalm. It's actually a pretty fun experience to do. So that's that's another challenge for us as we try to understand psalms is to create one and you might understand them a little better. All right, listeners. So now you have your uh, homework. That's um, right. Write a psalm in the comments below. There you go on the podcast or something. I don't know. We, we won't grade so them, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's great. That's a, uh, you're seeing real human emotion in these ones along with some divine inspiration. You know, again, I just like the, it's distilled in this one. It's, 
It's not just a story about Elijah doing this or doing that. It's David's crying there, but it's not giving you any details. He's just telling you, these are my problems, but I have trust. I have faith. They're great. They're great. They're very uplifting. I'm going to try that. Heartfelt. Heartfelt. Yeah. I like that what you did, your challenge to, to read a Psalm a day and, and do it with your, at least for the next, while we're doing Psalms. Yeah. Yeah, We've got a couple of weeks of Psalms. Just do it. Just do that for this month, for this August. Uh, Try that with your family. That sounds great. Good stuff. Well, you've got a place to go. Um, so let's uh, let's end it there. We'll talk about Proverbs coming up here shortly. Proverbs and Psalms are very closely related, uh, but we'll get to that more, maybe talk a little bit about more particular Proverbs and, uh, and that another one. But uh, this has been our little, a little bit on Psalms. I hope that was helpful to you and to understand what's going on and, and what Psalms is there for and how it can help us. I really think we can connect better with other people and with the Lord if we are it, through these books this is really helps to connect us i think just like hymns hymns help to connect us as a congregation uh psalms can help connect us as a family in a congregation too well thanks tomorrow right. you bet hey thanks for jo- joining me carrie on your podcast yeah. and uh we'll, we'll see you next time on the scriptures are real please uh let someone else know about this and uh and and let's spread the word we're trying to get people connected with the scriptures and make these things uh, real and impactful in their life thanks for joining us thanks